0: This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning. I'm Helen Narsed. Today we will be having two scripture readings. The first will be from Matthew 5:17 through 20 which can be found on page 810 in your Pew Bible. The second reading will be from Galatians 3:10 through 26, which can be found on page 973 in your Pew Bibles. We will start with Matthew 5:13 through 16. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Galatians 3 10 through 26. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law has been given that could give life, In order that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith.
1: Thank you, Ms. Helen. Let's pray real fast. Father God, I pray um, that as we, we begin this morning, as, as we kind of read through that, it, it just hits me that's, that's a lot of text. And Father, there is so much in there that's uh, just rich. Uh, There's so much that's important. There's so much that we need to talk about. But Father, um, to do that, we need your spirit to make it clear to us. To do that, we need you to open our eyes. To do that, we need to be filled with you. So Father, I just pray that you're with us this morning as we walk through this, as we see this plan that you have for our salvation, as you show us who we are and who you are for us. Father, just be with us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning everybody. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Ellison. I am the pastoral fellow here. So I do uh, things like children's ministry. So if you haven't seen me much, I'm usually running around in the back. Uh, Hopefully we'll also be getting the youth ministry going here before too terribly long. And this morning I have the privilege to bring to you our text. So uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 5 to start out with. That's the passage that we had read a second ago. We're continuing with our series through the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Chris has taken us through this series for the last couple of weeks, and we've hit some really famous texts. So we've talked about things like the Beatitudes. Uh, We've talked about what it means to be salt and light. We've talked about who the kingdom of God is for and what the kingdom of God produces in us. This morning, though, the passage that we read is going to take us in a slightly different direction. Jesus is going to be showing us something a little bit different. He's going to be talking to us about who he is and what that has to do with really the rest of Scripture. Uh, how Jesus and his mission and what he's done for us relates to the law. So I think the best way for us to do this is to jump right into Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 17, and see what Jesus has to say about this. So Matthew 5, starting with verse 17, he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Right? So we said that Jesus in this passage is showing us who he is and what he's doing is how that relates to really what we see in the rest of scripture, especially the Old Testament. So if we take this one little passage at face value, we can see that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not coming to get rid of the Old Testament I'm not coming to to do away with the law. I'm not saying that there's some kind of mistake there. Actually, we see that Jesus has a lot of respect for it. And he says that he's come to fulfill it. And that's kind of a heavy word. And so when we can kind of look at that, we can say, yeah, I I, I can kind of see what he's saying. But what does it mean when Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law? I think as Christians, a lot of times we have this kind of complicated relationship with the Old Testament. So when Jesus here says, you know, he's not come to do it like away with the law or the prophets. The law and the prophets is a way to summarize what he's in the entire Old Testament, right? The law starts with the first five books in the Bible, starts with Genesis. And he says all the way through to the last prophet that ends our Old Testament, our, our section of the scripture. None of that's going away. And as Christians, sometimes we have a difficult time figuring out what we're supposed to do with that. Right? especially what we're supposed to do with that portion of the Old Testament that is the law, Right, those rules and those regulations, those, those kind of strange things that we see as we go through our Bible reading plans where God is, is telling his people uh, what they are supposed to eat and not eat, what they can wear sometimes, how they're supposed to worship. We can read through those passages and just kind of say, like, what am I supposed to do with that? What does that, what does that mean for me? As somebody that knows the New Testament story, that knows what Jesus has done for me, where am I supposed to go with these things? And I think it's an honest question because we love God and, and, and we say that we love his word and, and we honor it and respect it. We say that it's perfect. But at the same time, there's these commandments in here that, that are telling us, you know, they're that, that saying things like, don't eat pork and, and, and we're not doing those things, right? So, so how do we connect this idea of, yeah, we love and we respect God's word. None of it's ever going away with, is this for me? So as we kind of go through this, that's what we're going to be dealing with today. We're going to be understanding what it means for us to to see the law as fulfilled by Christ, and it's an honest question, and it's kind of a complicated question. And I think it comes from one of of wanting to have a heart to like respect God's word, to know what He wants with our lives, and we're really great. We've been graciously blessed by God that He's actually answered this question at a pretty good depth elsewhere in Scripture. So what we're going to do today is actually a little bit different. We're going to move away from our Matthew passage for the rest of the day, and we're actually going to walk through this Galatian passage that was just right here earlier because the Apostle Paul is going to take a lot of time to talk to us about how Jesus relates to the law, specifically what this relationship between the doing things of the law is versus trusting in what Christ has already done for us. So we're going to be talking about that as we move through Galatians. So go ahead and turn there with me, if you would, as you turn there. Let me give you a little bit of background about what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. So Paul has taken the gospel to these places that did not know the God of Israel, right? He's taken it to these Gentile nations, and he's come to this region with these churches and he has has spread this gospel that he spread really all around the Mediterranean world, right? He's, He's come to these people and said, let me tell you about a God that created the heavens and the earth. The God that has created all that there is. This God is holy and he is perfect. He is without sin and everything that exists is under his jurisdiction, including us as human beings. But the problem is that we as human beings, we've failed and we have sinned. We've turned away from that God and his purposes for us and we've rejected him. But that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son who lived a perfect life to die on the cross to rise again so that if we believe in him and that he took our punishment for us we can be saved that's the gospel that paul takes all across the world right that's the gospel that paul is proclaiming and when he takes it to these people in this region it says they accept it gladly right they are eager to accept it they are excited about the gospel they jump on full head of steam but somewhere along the line other people come and start teaching these people in galatia And they say, hey, by the way, this God that you say that you now follow and love, he's also given us something else. I don't know if you know the full story. He's also given us more. He's given us these rules and these laws and these regulations. And if you actually want to be saved, you need to be doing these things too. So what Paul's going to be doing is he's actually going to be combating this false teaching to show us how this all relates back to Jesus, how this is all tied in together, and how this is one plan for our salvation. He's going to be doing this by answering a few questions for us. He's really going to be kind of... Bringing up the questions that these people would naturally be asking and giving them pretty direct answers. So, we'll see a few of those come out of the text. But what I'd like for you to do with me this morning is is, as we start off this passage, I want you to start with this question in mind Can I gain a righteous standing before God by doing the works of the law? In other words, can I make myself good enough in God's eyes by doing these rules and regulations to earn my salvation? Paul's going to tell us no. So let's start in verse 10 of Galatians chapter uh, chapter 3. Paul says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So again, our question is, can I gain a righteous standing before God by doing the works of the law? Paul says, no, not at all. Actually, the law can't save you at all. Actually, all that the law can do is put you under a curse. He's saying that the law is not designed to save you. Actually, all that the law can do is pronounce condemnation over you, which is a huge statement. That's a really big thing to say. And we might say, Paul, if you're going to say that that this thing that God has set up in the Old Testament, all that He can do is pronounce my condemnation, pronounce a curse over me, you need to have that backed up. And here's what Paul does. He says, you know how we know that's true? We know it's true because that's what the law says about itself. Look at that passage if you have your Bibles out in front of you. Look at the different quotation marks that Paul kind of brings out, right? He says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul pulls that from Deuteronomy 27, 26. He pulls that straight from the law. He says the law tells us that this isn't just some list of rules, some of which you can choose to do, some of which you can put aside. It's a system. And if you fail to keep any part of this system, you failed within the system itself. You failed to keep God's law. Right? He moves on from that and says, actually, the law and the prophets tell us that we don't gain life by the law at all. We gain life through faith in God. He goes to right here and says, now it is evident that no one is justified by God before the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. He pulls that from the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 2-4. He tells us how that's different than trying to earn life by the law because he says, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Paul takes that from Leviticus 18-5. Paul is sitting there and saying, hey, You can't gain your righteousness. You can't be good enough by God by just doing the works of the law. And we know that because that's what the law says about itself. That's what the law has always said. Paul kind of continues with that line of argument starting in in, in verse 13 when he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul says you can't gain your righteousness by doing the works of the law. Actually, you can only be cursed. And that's the very reason why Jesus needed to come to begin with, because you can't earn that. There is no one, no one who has done all of the law, right? That, that we, we saw that, Paul said that earlier. The only person that is totally innocent under the law that's kept all of it is Jesus Christ himself. He was totally perfect in obedience, never failed God, never sinned, therefore never deserved his judgment. And God loved us so much that he sent him to become a curse for us. Jesus Christ came to take the punishment that the law says that we deserve. Do you see that? That the law is not trying to save you. The law is setting you up so that you see that Jesus is the one that has to come and save you. Jesus became the curse for us. He pulls again from the law and he says, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, even if it's the Son of God himself. He becomes a curse for us. Paul kind of goes on into verse 14 and he starts talking about how this relates to Abraham and his promise to the Gentiles. Actually, Paul's going to take us uh, through kind of a quick survey of the Old Testament, and he's going to show us how Jesus relates to characters like like Moses and how he relates to people like Abraham. But he kind of shows us that, that when we receive him in faith, we get this promised spirit, which is actually what makes us able to follow him in faith, right? So Paul tells us we're not able to gain our righteousness by the law. Actually, the law is only there. It can only pronounce a curse over us, which is why Jesus needs to come. And then he gives us this example starting in verse 15. He says to give an example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made by Abraham and to his offspring. And it doesn't say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For the inheritance comes by the law. It is no longer It no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So Paul gives us this example and he refers back to the Old Testament, right? Paul's constantly showing us how these ideas aren't new. They're rooted back in what God's been doing all throughout history. So he goes and he starts with, Abraham, right? So we get in the story of Abraham that God promised Abraham. He says, I will bless the entire world. I will bless the nations of the world through your descendants. That's the promise that God makes Abraham. And it says Abraham believed it. And what? That, that God counted that to him as, as righteousness. When God made the promise through your descendants, I will bless the entire world. The promise is there, right? It's firm. It's there. It's, it's, it's established. God's word has said it and it'll come. Paul takes us later in the biblical timeline, and he says 430 years later, we get people like Moses. We get the story of God taking the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus. We see them going into the wilderness, and that's where God blesses his people by giving them the law, this, this covenant that tells them how these people are supposed to live in a relationship with a holy God. Paul says, do you see that the promise came first, came 430 years earlier. God said he would save the world through Abraham's descendant. 430 years later, we get the law. Paul says, think about it like a a contract, like a covenant. You don't get to make a contract with somebody, establish the rules, and then four decades later or four centuries later, go back and change what happens. God doesn't tell Abraham, hey, I will save the world through your descendant. And then 430 years later with Moses, he says, yeah, I'll do this if they make sure to do all these things. We don't get to, you don't get to do that today, right? You don't get to do that legally, to make a contract, then go back and add rules somewhere down the line and say that you're only going to hold up your end of the deal if something else happens. Paul tells us that's not the way that God works. When God gives his word, his word is firm, right? So that promise, God's not telling us that we're saved by doing these things. God promised salvation before he gave us the law. God promised us that salvation, and it was firm when he gave it to us. In the middle of this, Paul takes a second to explain something about the promise between God and Abraham. God promises to bless the world through Abraham's offspring, right? So if we look at the word offspring there, just like in English in the original language, right? Offspring could be kind of plural, could be kind of singular. Uh, So when we say, you know, who is Abraham's offspring? You know, I think most of us would be like, say, the Israelites, right? Father Abraham had had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? And, And and we kind of think about it in, in that way, and it's normal. But Paul says that's not the way you're supposed to understand this. When God gives that promise to Abraham, God has in mind one offspring. God has in mind one offspring in particular, and it's, it's Jesus Christ. Paul's telling us that when God makes this promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis, God is calling his shot. God says, I have a plan for your salvation, and it's through this one offspring. It's through Jesus Christ. You guys, what Paul is showing us as he walks us through this passage is, God has always had one plan for your salvation, and it's to bring salvation through Jesus Christ. So, so let's, let's go back. We have our number one question that, that we had when we started off this passage. Am I supposed to make sure that I gain my righteous standing before God by doing the law? Paul says you can't. The law doesn't do that. The law actually pronounces a curse over you. That's what the law says about itself. That's what the biblical timeline says about itself. So then your, your next question may be, okay, if I, if I can't gain righteousness by doing the law... If I can't be right before God by doing these things, what's the point of the law? And that's what Paul asks here, starting in verse 19. He says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. And to the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put into into place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. So Paul asks that question that, that probably should be burning on your mind, right? If, if the law's not supposed to make me right before God, why does the law exist? Paul says, "Because of transgressions, because of sin." In this passage, he doesn't really go any further into this, but he actually explains this more in Romans chapter seven and uh, verse seven and eight. He kind of gives this illustration. What, what's the purpose of, of the law?" he says. What then shall we say that the law is sin, that the law is bad? no, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. Paul tells us that, that the law is, is kind of given to us as, as a mirror, right? When God gave Israel the law, when he gave his people the law, he's kind of showing his people who he is. The law helps us see that our God is a God that demands justice. Our God demands what's right. Our demand. Our God demands what's good. That He will not. Uh, he, he will not let sin go by. So the law shows us who God is. But more importantly, the law shows us who we are in relation to that perfect God. If God is perfect, if God will not not let sin go by, and and He gives us His law, He gives us these rules, and we see that that we we can't do this. We can't keep this perfectly. Then we start to see who we are in relation to God, right? Paul gives the example of, of God tells me that it's wrong to covet. If God never would have told me that it was wrong to covet, I probably wouldn't have known that it was wrong to covet, right? God put that on our conscience. But because God gives us that law, and then because I see how much I actually covet, I realize that I'm, I'm not holy, I'm not righteous. I'm not perfect before God. Actually, I'm a sinner. The law is a mirror to show us who we are in relation to a perfect and holy God. So so why does the law exist? The law exists to show us who we actually are, to show us that we're sinners, to show us that we really do deserve God's judgment, that God is righteous in doing that. And that's that's a a, a very heavy thing. Paul also, again, he kind of stresses that again, that, that the law was added because of transgression. Again, the timeline's actually pretty important here, that, that God first promised salvation in Abraham, a promise that would never go away, and then, then the law was added. So, so here, here's the timeline that we got so far. God promises to send us salvation, and then God shows us why we need it. So if you look at this passage, actually right here at the end, it, Paul kind of starts to talk about a few different confusing things. He talks about how this promise was made and it was put into place by angels through an intermediary. And he says an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Uh, So in just doing research over this, uh, I've seen multiple people say this may be the most confusing thing that Paul says in the entire Bible. So uh, there's like 300 possible different explanations for this. So it's a really interesting text and we can get into it. And If you have questions about it, I'd love to come and talk to you about it. Uh, It seems like Paul is talking about how... how, um, that even in the story where God gives law, where we see it in the Old Testament, in the original story, we don't see anything about angels. There's other places in, in Scripture that implies that angels were involved in that process. It seems like there's a, that, that Moses acts as an intermediary between God and the nation of Israel. There's all these kind of details in here that kind of teach us all these things about God and his character. Um, and we can get really lost in the weeds if we spend a lot of time there. Uh, We can still see the big picture here uh, as we go through this text, even if that's a little bit fuzzy, understanding that, A, the question, can I gain righteousness by by doing works of the law? No, I can't. So then what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to show me that I'm a sinner and I need salvation. And then Paul moves on to his third question. So you, you sit there and say, okay, I can't earn salvation by doing these things. We see that in the law. That's fine. So, and the purpose of the law is to show me that I'm a sinner and need salvation. So if I'm supposed to be saved by grace through this promise, but the law is really only making me cursed, are are these two things opposed to each other? Are these two like different plans that one's right and one's wrong? is Is the law bad and grace good, or are is is it trying to tell me that there's two different plans for salvation and, and one's better than the other? Paul says, "No, not at all. so, so verse twenty one says. Is then the law contrary to the promises of God? He says, does the law rival this, this, this gospel of grace somehow? Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law would have been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisons everything under sin, so that the promises by faith in Jesus, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So again, we got this question: if the law only curses and it can't save me, and, and grace is all can save me, are, are these two opposite things? Are, are we looking at two different plans to salvation that that, that God is like trying to, to, to fix one of them? Or are he saying that one of them wasn't good enough? Or, he, or he's going back and changing his plan? Paul says, there's a problem with our logic there, all right? Like, like if, if the law was meant to save you, if scripture was saying, do this, this, and this, and you'll be saved, and elsewhere, scripture was saying, trust that Jesus did this for you, and you'll be saved, if those two things were both true, then yeah, that would be contrary, right? That's what Paul says in verse 21. But we're misunderstanding the point of the law. We're misunderstanding the plan of God. That's not the design. The plan of the law is to show us who we are before God so that we would know that we would need salvation. The law is supposed to keep us in this place of understanding who we are until this promise of salvation comes. So Paul gives us this example here in verses 23 through 26. Um, He says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, and prisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Paul says that that the law is 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 our guardian. So when when he says that the law is our guardian, he's kind of given this illustration, like in the first century, wealthy families would like hire slaves, to basically kind of raise their children, right? So for kids that were between 6 and sixteen, seven and 17, somewhere in there. You would hire this slave, and their job was to watch after your child, to watch after their behavior, their etiquette, their training, to make sure they got where they were needed to go. Uh, The job of this guardian was basically to put all these walls around this child, right? To put these little fences to contain them, to raise them, to grow them up, right? So if we want to make kind of a a modern kind of illustration, right? Paul's kind of telling us that the law is kind of like your second grade teacher. All right, when you're in second grade, you're not allowed to do anything right? You, you have to raise your hand to go to the bathroom. You're told where to sit. You're told when to eat. You're told where to go. Uh, you have absolutely no freedom in anything, right? Uh, you, are, you are in prison as a second grader, right? Um, what's the point of that? Is the point of doing that to a second grader so that hopefully one day they would be like the greatest second grader ever? Is the point that like one day you'd be 35 years old and you would be the best at asking your boss if you could go to the bathroom or, or anything like that? Like, of course not, right? The point of of doing that to a second grader isn't so that they would like have their second grade teacher following them for the rest of their life, making sure that they're boxed in by these rules. The point of that is to train them up to prepare their hearts, to prepare them for that time of freedom that comes later in life, right? To prepare them to go out into society, to have a relationship with everybody else, to operate within these normal bounds, right? The goal isn't that they would one day be 35 years old and the greatest second grader ever. The goal is that they would use these things things to prepare them for when that time of graduation comes when that time of freedom comes Paul tells us that's what the law is doing for us the law was never designed so that you could be the perfect lawkeeper and earn your salvation the law was given to prepare your heart for that greater time of freedom that was to come when does that come it comes when Jesus comes Paul is saying that there is a plan here for our salvation. And and it's not two separate plans. These aren't contradictory things. You're not trying to gain your salvation by doing the law. This is all one plan that has been put together by God for your salvation. And he's saying, guess what? He's speaking to these Galatians who have already received the gospel. Remember we said that at the beginning. They were excited to receive Jesus Christ and then they got sidetracked. Paul says in verse 26, he says, he says, Um, But now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You already have the salvation that you're trying to get somewhere else. If you've accepted Jesus, why are you going off this sidetrack trying to gain something that you already have? Don't you understand that you've already got the prize? You've already graduated. Why are you going back to second grade? Why are you putting yourself back in this? In what Scripture said, this imprisonment, this box, this containment that was meant to keep you for a while, and it's good, right? Paul's not saying that the law is bad. We're not saying that it's bad to give second graders rules. We're saying that it's good for a time. It's good for a season, and it's good for a purpose to prepare you for that season that is to come later, right? That's what Paul is telling us. That this, is, this is all one masterfully drawn out plan for your salvation. This is God's grand scheme that runs all throughout history for you to be saved from your sins. So so we look back over our text, right? And and we go back over what we're seeing here. Am I supposed to gain my righteousness by doing the law? No, you can't. The law was never designed that way. So so then what's the Point of the law? The, the point of the law is to show us who we are in relation to a perfect and holy God. So, so then, does that mean that the law and, and, and that, that grace, that they're, they're, they're fighting against each other, that they're pushing them back? No, 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 no. They are all steps in this beautifully drawn out plan that God has, has had, had in his mind before the foundation of the world for you to be saved, for you to spend an eternity with him. If, if you're trying to get what I'm, the, the point of what I'm saying here, here's the point. God has always had one plan for your salvation, and that plan has always been to send Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again, to take your place so that you could be saved. There has been no other plan. There is no contradiction. There is no other way. Every other thing in the Old Testament and in the New, every other thing in God's plan is all pointing to that, that Jesus died for your sins. That's the only way that the Bible presents to us for you to be saved. That's it. That's it. So if we're, if we're going back to our original question and we're looking back at what Matthew tells us when he says that he's come to fulfill the law, what does it mean when Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law? He means that the law was never meant to save you. The law was meant to point you to him, to point you to the fact that you needed him. Jesus is coming to get rid of our, is he coming to get rid of the law? No, Jesus isn't coming to do away with it. He's not telling you that it's, it's no longer necessary. He's not telling you that it's good. He's saying that it had its purpose and his purpose was to point you to him. And that will never pass away. God's perfect plan for your salvation will always stand firm. It's never going away. And it'll always show us who he is and who we are in relation to him. And that can't change. The law was a part of God's grand plan for your salvation. But don't confuse that with that being the plan for your salvation. Or even a plan for your salvation. That's where the Galatians got sidetracked. That They lost sight of this grand plan and they focused in on this one little piece of it. They forgot that they were saved only by what Jesus did for them on the cross and they thought that they had to go back and earn it somehow. That's getting lost in the weeds. That's zooming in on one little portion of the plan and and forgetting the grand scheme of all that God's doing. We we, we can't do that. The purpose of the law wasn't to save you, but to prepare your hearts to be ready to accept salvation when it was offered. The law isn't opposed to the gospel and it doesn't become useless when Jesus comes and it will always be a God-ordained, God-glorifying plan to bring you to him. It is a holy part of a holy plan for your salvation and that will never change and it will always point us. To him, and that is beautiful. God's put together this plan for you, and He has painted the details so delicately. Well, when, when God, after the fall in Genesis, when God promised to crush the serpent's heel he did that through Jesus. When when God told Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed, he did that through Jesus. When God brings the law to Moses and shows us that there is a sacrifice that's necessary for our sin, he fulfilled that in Jesus. When God went to King David and said, you will have a son that will sit on the throne forever and ever, he did that through Jesus. When God tells the prophets that he will bring one that will release Israel from its oppression, he did that through Jesus. All of the Old Testament, all of what's going on in scripture, all of the grand scheme of the timeline of history that God has Put into place. It's all pointing us to one climax, and that's to salvation in Jesus. There is no other plan. There never has been. God has pointed this with the signpost every step along the way, every bit of it was to point us to Jesus. So, as we draw to a close here, and and we kind of ask ourselves, all right, going back to to what we kind of brought up at the very beginning, when we read these Old Testament laws and these rules, and we say, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Let's, let's, let's give a, a couple of things. There's a lot that we could go into, but, but here's just a couple of things. When you read these things, just take time to sit in awe of the fact that that's what God did to save you. Like all of this. All of history, all of what God has done since He created the first man and woman, He's been working all of this in such a delicate way because He loves you, because He wants to save you, because He wants to offer you a way out of your sins so that you can spend eternity with Him. Take time and let yourself be shocked by that and celebrate in that. Secondly, Accept that there is no other way to salvation except by trusting that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you and that he took his punishment for you. And that if we believe in him and repent of our sins, that if we follow Christ, we will be saved. That sounds so elementary. Some of you guys have been sitting in church for 30 or 40 or 50 years, and you've heard that a thousand times. But some of you are just, we're like the Galatians, right? Just because we've heard it and we accepted it once, somehow we thought we could move on from that, and we've gotten lost in the details. Zoom back out and look at the plan. Everything that you have is because Jesus died for you. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you've never heard that. Maybe maybe you thought that the way to heaven was by doing enough good things. Let me tell you, the entire Bible, as we've walked through this, this quick skim of it, shows us that's not the case. You can't be saved. You can't do enough to earn your salvation before God. If you, want, if you want fellowship with Him, if you want to be saved, you trust that Jesus did it for you. You repent. You believe. You follow Christ because God has worked all of this out for your salvation. And thirdly, as you read your Bibles, take time to just look at these details and just try to draw your way back to Christ, right? So when you're looking at rules about, about the Sabbath and, and you're confused about what to do, take down to think about the fact that, that Sabbath rest, that... that I'm no longer trying to do the work on my own. The greatest rest that I can have is the fact that Jesus has done what I need to do for me and I can rest in that. Or when we're looking at the sacrifices, realizing that there's no longer sacrifices I have to make because Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for me. Take time and just look through your Old Testament and, and just take time to draw that little map and to look and see how it relates to Jesus. Because there was always, 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 one plan for your salvation. And it's simply by faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, as, as we look at this text, and it's, it's heavy, and there's so much there, and, and there's so much to, to, to be confused by or, or to try to get lost in, help us just to remember that, like, God, you, you're a God of the details that God, you are one that watches over all of this and you're not confused by any of it, but you've had this perfectly planned out since before you created the world, you knew that you would send Jesus when you were speaking to Abraham or when you were speaking to Adam or when you were speaking to Isaiah. You knew and you know now and you know us and you love us. You've done this for us. God, I pray that you're working on the hearts of people in here today. I pray that the people who have known this gospel and have have just lost sight of it a little bit, have gotten lost in other parts of the plan, God, I pray that you just help them to zoom back out. And I pray for those who don't know you and never have, that you just, you show them. You show them this plan. God, be with us today. Thank you for this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For joining us online, Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.